chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2, and while you're turning there, I'm going to read this, O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant, O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem, come and behold him, born the king of angels, O come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Sing choirs of angels, sing in exultation, sing all ye citizens of heaven above, glory to God, glory in the highest, O come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning, Jesus to thee be glory given. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing, O come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. And six more verses, even more deep and theologically correct than that. It is a beautiful song, and it is a beautiful hymn that it, um, it, uh, it most probably well-known, well-sung. We sing it every year, multiple times a year. Uh, it is a great uh, Christmas hymn. It has a little bit of a complicated history. Uh, it, uh, we're not really sure exactly who wrote it. We do know that it was written in Latin first. Uh, it was originally called Adiste, Adiste you're going to have to help me, Adeste Fidelix. Yeah, there it is. Uh, something like that. I'll turn to my Latin speaking wife. Uh, it was translated to English in 1841, originally probably written somewhere in the 1700s, possibly by uh, the King of Portugal, John IV, but most likely written by a guy named John Francis Wade, and it translated in 1841 into English as nine stanzas all together. You can Wikipedia that all you want. They are fantastic. Uh, great stanzas, all of them beautiful, all of them theologically rich, all of them pointing us to that scene of Jesus's birth. And most of you guys may even have this depicted in your home, the nativity scene. It is the idea that we have people who are coming to see Jesus and to worship him. Shepherds and wise men and animals, they're all around, all in the stable, right? All worshiping Jesus and coming around him. Uh, and we all have that depicted uh, inside of our home in a lot of ways where you have, you know, you have Jesus at the center and you have Mary. And sometimes these are real, like real artistic or whatever you might have in your home. And then you have the shepherds and different animals that are around. And, uh, you know, if you're theologically correct, I mean, you have the wise men, some very far off place uh, <laughs> uh, because probably not biblically accurate that they were there in the stable with Jesus, but we do know that they certainly came at some time uh, in the future, so they are major players. Now, there was one major character inside of the biblical story that is not, I guarantee you, is not in your nativity scene at your home. Now, he takes up fully 25% of the Christmas narrative in Matthew and Luke, but he is not located in your home or celebrated or probably not even talked about at all. There is no, I guarantee you at your nativity set, there is no, there's not a plastic figurine of this person who is so evident uh, in the Christmas story. We don't sing about him. We certainly don't dress up like characters as this guy and depict him. He's not in the dramas. He's not in the songs. He's not, he's not read about on Christmas Eve purposefully because he is the worst character in the story. He's terrible. And we don't like to talk about him. Now, what's intriguing about that is our culture has a fascination with villains these days. Most of the, maybe not most, but a lot of your TV shows that are popular these days, maybe in, in a lot of movies, let me, they are obsessed with the villain. The story itself is about the villain. 
And then there's even some TV shows that there is no good guy in the entire show. All right, you don't have to raise your hands of Breaking Bad. There's no good guy. House of Cards. Nope. There's no good people in that entire show, right? Mad Men. Nobody. Even, I mean, this whole idea, I mean, think about the latest superhero movies. Venom. That's about the bad guy. The entire movie's about the bad guy. All right. Uh, Infinity War, the Avengers, right? Did you see the Avengers? I hate to break this. The bad guy wins in the movie. If if that's a spoiler, then you obviously don't even care. So um, literally the movie is about Thanos and he wins in the end. It has even invaded our, our, like, it invaded our children's film. Despicable Me is about a bad guy, right? It's invaded our Christmas movies for our children. You know how I know this? Here, help me out. You're a mean one. Thank you, yeah. It's about the bad guy. It's about the villain. We are intrigued and interested with the bad guy. It's actually difficult to find things in our culture that actually have a normal good guy, bad guy plot. Adrian and I, a couple months ago, if you saw it, it was on Netflix. There's this great movie called uh, called the, the, the Guarantee Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. Did anybody watch that? It was really good. Y'all should check that out. Very complicated title, but it was really good. Here's what I loved about it. It ended with a happy ending. I, and when it, that happened, I was like, I looked over at Adrian, and I was like, that, ha- that had a happy ending. The, the good guy won, the bad guy lost, the good guy didn't become a bad guy, and the bad guy didn't become a good guy. It literally happened just like that. I was amazed by that. I think that that's why we omit this specific person from the Christmas story. Because this person in the story has no redeemable value. He is evil, ill-intentioned, and rotten. But I think he has a lot to teach us. And so as we, we the faithful, come to worship and adore the king, we have to pay attention to his part of the story. Now, if you look at Matthew chapter 2, so if you're there, say I'm there. Awesome. Matthew chapter 2. At the title to most of your headings right there on Matthew chapter 2, it's going to say the visit or of the wise men or the magi, okay? The visit of the wise men. I actually think that that's the wrong title. It doesn't talk about the wise men as much as it talks about this one guy. It's misattributed. But we trained ourselves to look for the best possible outcome. So what takes up more space in the story doesn't actually get the title. So here we go. Let's read it. It says, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of, give me his name, Herod, there he is, there's our friend. Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, this is the prophet Micah, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, before we get into what I think is the main character in this story, uh, we, we need to understand the wise man, okay? So, uh, because the song is about this, these people coming to worship. They're, they're faithful, joyful, triumphant. Let's come and worship and we desire, as a church, we desire to be just like them. We want to be just like the wise men in this passage. So let's check out the wise men. Here's what we don't know about the wise men, even though the songs tell us a lot of things about the wise men. But here's what we don't know. We don't know where they're from. All we know is that they're from the east. Okay? So think about this. We always think about them being uh, eastern, like, you know, from the east. And so we always think about the east. But actually, the wise men were looking to the west. I know that that's kind of crazy, but they were looking to the west, and they saw the star in the west, no matter what the song says. Okay, they saw the star in the west because they were from the east. There you go. But we don't know where they're from. Uh, we don't know what their names were. There's some tradition that names them, but there's, that's not biblically accurate at all. Um, we don't know how many of them there were. Of course, we obviously, we obviously think there's three. But we don't know how many there were. We have, they have three gifts, uh, and we don't know exactly when they came. It is, it is very safe to, to assume that they weren't there in the stable, uh, but um, we, we don't exactly know when. It could have been possibly months or even years after, uh, after the fact. Okay, so, um, so we don't know a lot about the wise men, but we do know a few things. And so here's, if you're taking notes, here's what we do know about these wise men. We know that they were expectant. They were expectant. Last week, Will taught us that, that the coming of the Messiah was prophesied anywhere between 700 and 1,500 years before it actually happened. 700 and 1,500 years. The last prophecy was written 700 years before Jesus' birth. Now, if we fast forward that into today's time, that would mean that the last thing that would be spoken that you would have had to study was written in 1318. Now, I don't know how many of you are scholars of the 1300s or are currently reading books from the 1300s, as there's probably not many of you. These guys were expecting something to happen because of their study of, of something that happened, something that was said 700 years years before they took interest in the history and they and then expectant about what god was going to do in the future and they were ready to worship ready to worship jesus these guys were expectant pumped looking in the sky ready to worship the king of israel i don't know about you but there's sometimes where I'm, I'm so unexpectant of what god's going to do that i i don't even get ready for jesus until like the third song on sunday morning right 
I, I don't come expectant. These guys were expectant about what God was going to do. And their, their heart woke up when they saw that star and they immediately took action because they were expectant. Oh, come all ye faithful, ready and expectant for worship. Number two. Number two. They knew the scripture. They knew the scripture. And they knew scriptures that you and I would be like, what? They knew this scripture, Numbers 24, 16 through 17. It'll be up on the screen. It says, The oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, falling down with the eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. They knew that the Messiah was going to, was going to be signified by a star, and so they had their eyes on the sky. And they were watching. And they were expectant because they knew the scripture. They read Isaiah 60, verse 1 through 6. Arise, shine for your light. They knew it was a light that has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations, get that, and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see they all together, uh, they all gather together, uh, they come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. Get this. They shall bring gold and frankincense, and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. These guys were told what to bring Jesus hundreds of years before his birthday. I wish that there was a prophecy to tell me what to give my wife for Christmas. <laughs> right? I wish I could just read it. You know, 700 years ago, you should give her a coat. You know, or, I mean, whatever it is, right? But they were scholars of the scripture. They had read it. They knew when to come. They knew what the symbol was going to be. And they knew what to bring him. Because they were scholars of the scripture. O come all ye faithful who know the word. That is why we dedicate ourselves to the study of the scripture, the study of the Bible. That we desire to know the word of God because it tells us our future. It tells us our present. Of course it tells us our past. Number three, they were humble. They were humble. And this is just a quick point. These guys were influential leaders. How in the world these guys could come out of nowhere, show up in Jerusalem, and get an audience with the king? They obviously had some power about them. They had some influence. They, some, they, they knew people, right? You can't just waltz into the city and meet with the king. So obviously, they had some influence and power and wealth. They showed up with some pomp and circumstance, right? And so Herod respected their power. He respected what they had said. And, you know, he could tell that these guys were kind of a big deal. Now, when they get to Jesus, these guys humble themselves. Whatever pomp they had was now gone, and they lay their gifts, and they lay themselves. And and the scripture tells us that they bow down before the infant king, the one who had been born in a stable, the one who was born of poor parents. They bow down, these kings, these magi, these wise men, they bow down in humility. 
because of who the Christ child was. O come, all you faithful, humble, to bow down. Last one about the, the wise men. They gave extravagantly. They gave extravagantly. Yes, they knew what to bring. They even added another one, myrrh. But those things were incredibly expensive. I'm sure the cost of the trip was incredibly expensive to pick up everything they had and probably travel for months or if not years to go see this infant child who was born, the king of Israel. And they're going to spend take great expense to go travel and go find him. And then they bring these extravagant gifts, not asking anything from him, but bringing gifts to him. And they give the king what he has given them back to him. They understand this idea of extravagant generosity. They bring these gifts to the king. So what do we know about Herod? What do we know about Herod? Now, we know a lot about Herod. This is Herod the Great. Uh, he had a son named Herod, so it's a little bit confusing. This is Herod the Great. Uh, and he, uh, we know a lot about him from the scripture, but we also know a lot about him because this guy named Josephus, who is a historian, he wrote a lot about Herod the Great. So there's a lot of information uh, regarding him in uh, the history books. Herod was a puppet king. Uh, he, he was given his title by the Romans. The Romans were the empire that controlled the entire world, including Judea uh, and Jerusalem specifically. And so the Romans, Caesar himself, set up Herod as the king of Israel. Uh, and it was a pu- he was a it was a puppet kingdom. He, he, the Caesar really controlled what happened in Jerusalem, but he put a king or a governor over those people who was in fact a Jew. So Herod was Jewish by descent, but not at all in practice. Uh, and so what happened was is, is that whole process made. Herod very wealthy because he could tax the people however he wanted and then he you know put excise taxes on top of the taxes that the Romans wanted uh, and so he could really oppress the people as much as he wanted and, and then just simply blame the Romans and say oh it's, it's all the Romans fault and he could become incredibly wealthy and that wealth made him very powerful and then very greedy and eventually just drove him absolutely mad to the point where he killed basically all of his wives and almost all of his children uh, because they, they, he thought that they were going to usurp him and kill him uh, and, and, and come to power themselves. So he killed most of his family because he was going mad. Uh, so the idea when the scripture says that there was this group of men who came to Herod and said, we are here to worship the king of the Jews and it's not you. It's, uh, the scripture says that he was very troubled. I bet. I bet he was pretty troubled. So here's, what, here's some things that we know about Herod from this passage. Number one, the Herod was very defensive. Herod was very defensive. His immediate response was defense. There's another one who wants my throne. There's another one that's greater than I. There's another one that holds power. And when others came into his space and told him that he was not the most important person in the realm, he had a problem with that. He, he, there, was, there was somebody else who had more Instagram followers than he did. There was somebody else who got the promotion. There was somebody else who got the better house. There was somebody else who got more money. There was somebody else who got a prettier wife. There's somebody else that was greater than him. And he got very defensive about it. He hadn't even met Jesus, and he hated him. Number two, Herod was biblically ignorant. Herod was biblically ignorant. You have these wise men, and we don't know much about them. We really don't even know what religion they were. 
We know that they looked at the stars, we know that they studied the scripture, but we really don't know a whole lot more about them and their religious background. But they knew more about the Christ child than Herod the king himself. That they were ready to, to, to access the king. Now Herod had the information. He lived in Jerusalem where all of the prophetic books were. He could have gone and read them or had them read to him. He had all of the access of the information right there in the palm of his hand. And he could have studied it himself, but he didn't know. So when the star appeared right basically under his nose, he didn't know what that was about. He didn't know that that was part of the whole Messiah being born. He did know as soon as he asked, all he had to do was ask one simple question of his scribes. Hey, what, they, these guys, they're here, they're talking about a Messiah. What's the deal with that? And they're like, oh, well, yeah, all of our prophetic books, they talk about that. And they even talk about where he's going to be born. It's going to be born in Bethlehem. Oh, that's interesting. Now, it's possible that Herod did know. It's possible that he did know. I have no idea whether he knew about the Christ child or not, but it's possible that he did, which is even worse. Because it means that he had knowledge about the Messiah, but he didn't have the heart transformation to long for him. It's entirely possible that he knew the power of the one who is going to save. It's possible that he knew all of the right things to say. It's possible that he knew all of the traditions. It's possible that he knew all of the sacred prayers to pray. It's possible that he went to the temple and he went to church and he knew how to act and he knew what to say and he knew what to, he knew what to do inside of his church congregation, but his heart wasn't transformed. And so when it came to it, Herod is completely ignorant of the presence of the king. Third thing, Herod was manipulative. Herod was manipulative. Herod made the wise men believe that he wanted to worship, but his heart had completely other intentions. He made people think that he was a follower of the king. Everybody that was around believed that he wanted to go and worship as well. They, they thought that he believed in this Christ child. But within him, he was a treasonous imposter. And he was even pretty convincing about it. The wise men, what we gather from them is that when, he, when they left, when they left and went to Bethlehem, which is just a few miles away, it's not very far. When they left and they went to Bethlehem, they thought that Herod really wanted to know. It came to the fact that God had to warn them in a dream to not go back to Jerusalem. So obviously they were planning to go back and God had to to miraculously warn them not to go back. It suggests that they believed exactly what Herod was dishing out. It doesn't take much to trick people. It does, especially today. It doesn't take much to trick people into thinking that we're genuine believers, that we talk the talk and we show up at the right times and we pray the right prayers and we do the right things. But the true worshiper of the king is sealed by transformation of the heart, not what they say. So Herod was pretty manipulative. 
Last one, Herod was brutally protective of his own throne. There's more to the story, and this is the part of the Christmas story that we don't read on Christmas Eve. It says this in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. You guys can look at it. It says this, Now when they had departed, this is the wise men, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. This is Jesus' adopted father. And said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he, meaning Joseph, rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to the prophet out of Egypt. I have called my son. Verse 16 says this. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all of the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years old or under, according to the uh, to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then uh, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because there are no more. This is the part of the story that we leave out because what nation kills their babies? Maybe we do. Herod got pretty angry when another held title to his throne. Uh, He figured out that he was obviously wrong. He wasn't the Christ child. He wasn't the Messiah, and he knew it. He wasn't the Savior, and he got angry. He got so angry that he took action. Herod didn't worship the king of Israel. He thought that he was the king, and so therefore he worshiped himself. The throne was for him, and his his greed just drove him to madness, and his unwillingness to bow the knee, to, to, hum, uh, to humble himself and give the spotlight to the true king, killed his relationships, killed his family, and killed his soul. And I wish that I could tell you that it ended well, kind of like the Grinch. <laughs> I wish I could tell you that it ended well for Herod. Uh, I wish I could tell you that he repented and things went better for Herod, like a good American fun story. But it didn't. That next verse, verse 19, it just simply says in the Bible, when Herod died, something happened. So, but we know from the history books that Herod somehow, I'm not sure how, somehow contracted some kind of terrible disease in which he was in an incredible amount of pain, so much so that he would often be found with knives trying to stab himself. But the people that were serving him didn't allow him to do that, and so he died writhing in pain. And this is the man who takes up 25% of our Christmas story. And there's good reason that we don't want to talk about him. It's not a pretty picture. It's not fun. It is a nasty twist upon a what is otherwise a beautiful and wonderful and majestic story. And I think I know why we don't like to talk about him. Because... When I read the story, whenever, any other story, any story that we can think of, but when we read this specific story, we we like to 
put ourselves into the story? How would we be a part of this story? How do we identify? Do we, do we identify with Mary, who's the, the virgin teenage girl, and how obedient she was to the Father? Can we be that obedient, just like Mary? What about Joseph? Joseph was reluctant at first, but then God calls him out of his reluctancy and calls him to obedience and he gives and graciously gives his wife to, to or his fiance to do this amazing act and then he takes this child and, and, and into his own home and gives to him I wish that I was Joseph. What about the shepherds? Maybe we'll get to the shepherds next week. We have the shepherds lowly these these wonderful lowly shepherds who they're unguarded in their worship is that they sang and danced and they told everybody about Jesus. They're, I wish that I was unguarded like them. I mean, I, I like to identify with these wise men who are affluent and educated. They humbly come and worship the newborn king. Those are the, the, that's why in our nativity scenes, that's why all of these people exist inside of that plastic nativity scene or glass or whatever you have in your house. That's why all those characters are there and Herod's not there. Because we want to identify with them. Those are the people that we want to reflect. I never want to identify with Herod. I never want to be defensive. I never want to be biblically ignorant. I don't want to be, I don't want to be manipulative. I don't want to be brutally protecting my own throne. But the truth is, the truth is that I'm more like Herod than any other character in this story. When the king illuminates my sin, I get defensive. There are times where I should spend in the scripture, but I don't, and I become biblically illiterate. There are times when I manipulate people and make them think that I'm a better Christian than I really am. And then there are those times where, I don't know if you're with me on this, but where I know that the God of the universe should be on the throne of my life, but I brutally protect it. And I take action against it. truth is, is that I'm not much of a wise man. I'm just like Herod. So maybe the hymn goes for me. Oh, come all ye faithless, joyless and defeated. Come ye, oh, come ye to Bethlehem. Because that's where the good news is. Think about this. The story could have ended a whole lot differently for Herod. God loves Herod. You know how I know that God loves Herod? He literally sent random men, we'll call them missionaries, to his palace to tell him that the king was born right underneath his nose. And they invited him to join in worship. Herod had a choice. God gave him a choice, and he could have taken it. He could have walked the six miles to Bethlehem to go worship the king. God sent people to go see him and tell him the good news about Jesus, and he refused it. God loves Herod, and God loves me, the Herod, and God loves you, who I would consider also a lot more like Herod than wise men. And so that's the good news. And you might think, well, that's kind of harsh. Like, I don't, I don't, 
I'm not sure that I see myself as I'm not sure that I see myself as Herod. It's a little tough. The Bible tells us this in Ephesians chapter two. You read it up on the screen. It actually gets worse. And we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. Didn't know that. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and our mind. And we were once, get this, this is terrible. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's how the Bible describes us, very similar to Herod. It sounds a lot like Herod to me. Our sin is treason against the king. The good news is this. Paul then says in verse 4, in one of the greatest texts in all of the scripture, he says this, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ, by grace you have been saved. Even though we are all Herod, God gives us the ability to become just like the King Jesus. And that grace that was available for Herod, that he chose not to take, that he chose to not repent, that grace is available for you. This Christmas, that grace is available for you. It is much worse than you think. Your life is much worse than you think. But God's grace is much greater than you could ever possibly imagine. And so, would you simply come? If you have never come to a relationship with Christ, I'm here to tell you that you are as terrible as Herod himself. And God has gifted you with an opportunity today. I'm not sure how you came into this place, but somehow, or somebody got you into this place to hear this message. And God wants to give you grace through a relationship with Jesus and wants to walk close with you and he wants to guide you as you come and worship the king. Even though you were faithless, God was faithful. Even though you are joyless, God gives you joy. And even though you have no triumph in your life, we can come to this place and say, we are faithful, joyous, and triumphant, like the song says. And so my challenge to you is this. Would you come to Jesus? Would you come to the newborn king? who has always existed and always will. And he desires to save you. And if that's what you want, I want to meet with you and talk with you and pray with you about that specific thing so that Christmas can mean a whole lot more to you than it does right now. Don't go on being a treasonous, empty puppet king like Herod. Come, be a wise man. Walk with Christ. Come all you faithful, joyful and triumphant. Come to Bethlehem. Let's pray to you. God, thank you. Oh, for a good time. To learn our place, to learn where we're from. To challenge ourselves with who we are. God, help us not to be blind of who we are. Open up our eyes to know that we are sinful and desperately need you. You didn't place these characters 
in this scripture story so that we might avoid them. You placed them there as a warning sign to us to caution us and tell us to look to the king, the rightful king, the one who can save. So we as worshipers who are faithless, joyless, not and defeated, might we come to Bethlehem and adore you. Thank you, Jesus.